following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center, Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. Well, hi, welcome everyone. Um, my name is Mira Young, and uh, I am um, here as Mark is leading the retreat, as probably a number of the community is on retreat this weekend at Holy Spirit. So sometimes I um, um, come in um, in Mark's absence. <clears throat> so I'm, I, I'm a longtime practitioner. I've been a part of this community for many years, and uh, I'm just grateful to the Dharma, grateful to be here. I'm also a psychotherapist, and I integrate meditation into my work, and I do some teaching in various settings on mindfulness, stress reduction, and uh, meditation and psychotherapy. So um, anyway, tonight's talk is on um, intention, and I'd like to a little bit more about the practice that we just did, and then let me get the title of the talk out here if I can find notes. I want to be sure to leave some time for a discussion. Tonight's talk is on the heart's intention, walking in wisdom with intention. And uh, I gave a talk, I think it was last month at the beginning of the year, where we were, it's a kind of a continuation in a way about um, exploring what's the difference between intention and expectations, and also goals that we have for our life. The heart's intention is so confusing and emotionally confounding that the rational mind is unable to provide an absolute clear intention. We have to rely on our intuitive knowing or felt wisdom. In the Buddhist time, this was referred to as bodhicitta, the awakened heart mind. So Rick um, Hansen, who wrote The Buddha's Brain, he uh, had a reflection on love, and this was the meditation, and he literally talks about how intention and bringing these qualities to mind can affect our, our brains. And uh, he says that, that uh, love is deep in human nature and literally woven into our DNA. And that as our ancestors evolved, the seeds of love, such as mother-child attachment, bonding, all these things, they aided our survival, and they were passed on. Love is like water. It needs to flow. Otherwise, it backs itself up and gets stagnant and smelly. Bringing, being loving heals old wounds inside and opens untapped reservoirs of energy and talent. It's also a profound path of awakening. The world needs your love. Those you live with and work with need your love. Our family, our friends, 
He says that love is as natural as breathing. And that sometimes we have this faulty idea that if you were being intentional about love, it makes it false or second rate. But actually, loving at will is doubly loving. The love you find is authentic, and the effort to call it forth is deeply caring. To love is to have courage, whose root meaning comes from the word heart. The root word of courage comes from the, from the word heart. He says it takes courage to give love that may not be returned, to love while knowing you'll inevitably be separated one day from everything you love, to go all, to go all in love without holding anything back. Am I brave enough to love? So our heart's intention may simply be about living with a love, loving, kind heart. I, uh, I'd like to define love. I'd like to define intention a bit more with you, based on the Buddha's teachings, and and then talk a little bit more to flesh it out about how it's different from goals and how do we develop this muscle of intention. So the the. Uh, Wise intention is actually part of the Eightfold Path. So there's the Four Noble Truths of the Buddhist teachings, and the fourth one is about the Eightfold Path, which is how we go about living. So the Four Noble Truths, just a quick review, are that there, there is suffering, stress, suffering. Okay, second. There's a cause of suffering, which is right, desire, craving, craving, aversion, right? And the third noble truth, there's an end, there's freedom. And the fourth one is the Eightfold Path. So the Eightfold Path is broken into three different sections of development. The first section is wisdom. The second section is around our ethical conduct. And our third session is around our mental development or our meditation practice. Right intention is the second step on the Eightfold Path. So this is how we learn to walk in wisdom. The first step is right or wise view. And the second step is wise or right intention. The third is speech. The fourth is the action. Fifth is livelihood. Sixth is effort. Seventh is mindfulness, and eighth is concentration. So this is where intention is um, landed in our path. It's right at the near the beginning of the path. That's how important it is. There's three types of wise intention. There's the renunciation or the resistance to the pull of the second noble truth, the craving, the desire. Not the unwholesome desire, the desire to try to control things, the desire to try to my way or the highway, the desire that keeps us burning and on fire with craving and caught in that push and pull. 
wanting what we can't have, not wanting what we have, not accepting life as it is. The second type of wise intention is, is to um, resist or to let go around craving and aversion, so that aspect of suffering. And the third is the intention for harmlessness, meaning not to think or act cruelly, violently, or aggressively, but to develop compassion, to develop kindness. So we have these three types of intention, okay, to let go of the desire, to let go of the aversion, and to let go of harming and move towards non-harming. Interesting, um, I was reading an article that I'll be quoting a little more called Buddhist Intention, Being Kind in Unkind Times. And Larry Yang was doing some research. He's actually going to be coming here to teach, and I highly recommend it. He's a spirit rock teacher. Um, he wrote the article, and in his, he discovered that the Sanskrit word for intention comes from the word tennis. <laughs> so we can all go, tennis, anyone? <laughs> tennis, anyone? Yes, intention. And that means to stretch forth. So I don't know how tennis and Sanskrit go together, but it sounds nice. So, um, But the Sanskrit root is at, at, in the word tennis. So we have to stretch. We're, we're actually making an intention. Um, in our practice, when you're really paying attention, actually without intention, nothing moves. There's a, there's, there has to be an intention in the mind. You know, like, like you could have the most wonderful food in front of you, right? Or, and if, if you don't um, intend to lift whatever, you're not going to eat. You could look at the food all day. So this is, intention is very powerful. The most basic intention, meditation instructions for refining intention start not with the cushion, but with the activity of daily life. They are contained in his discourse to his young son, Rahula. So intention is not just a meditation practice. It is this activity in daily life. He told Rahula, to use his actions as a mirror for reflecting the quality of his mind, asking him to look at, you know, is this going to lead to harm or is this going to lead to um, non-harm? He, he, he instructed his young son, one of his early teachings was in, how do you live an ordinary life? How do you be mindful of your, your actions, your intentions? And he didn't stop there. He said that in the midst of acting, have you ever had this experience? Like you might have had an intention to do something positive or you were thinking it wouldn't cause harm, but in the middle of it, you realize that, wait a minute, you had to pay attention because maybe it wasn't working so well. Does anyone have that experience? And then to stop. To stop. said that there's um, that we should notice um, the long and short-term circums 
circumstances as well of the effects of our actions and our intentions. There's two factors. One is appropriate attention, the ability to ask yourself the right questions that cut straight to the heart of the causes of pain and pleasure without entangling the mind in needless confusion. I often ask my clients simple things like, is that going to lead you to more pain and suffering, or is that going to lead you to more happiness, peace, and freedom? You know, really, sometimes we, we, we get pretty overwhelmed, and, and something just really simple, like what direction is this going to take me, and what's my intention here? You know, is it to dig the hole deeper, or is it to have some way of relief or, or of um, changing a, a pattern that may be causing harm to self or others. Very practical. And the second approach, I love this, is friendship. Is having wise friends. Having sangha, having people like ourselves on a path together that can support us. He says that um, associating with the wise and learning from people who are virtuous, generous, and wise can be helpful with internal and external aids in following the path. Just common sense. The Buddha said, do good, get good. Do evil, get evil. (laughs) There's even um, a sutta um, that's about the results of our actions, or intentions, right, affect our actions. And uh, this is called the dog duty aesthetic. Um, Senya, the naked dog duty aesthetic, aesthetic? Um, he was, um, um, there's some strange people in, in around that were around in the Buddhist days. Some were behaving and believing some pretty strange things that may be no different than our current days, right? That they thought that if they would behave in a certain way, that this would bring good results. So we might have a certain intention, and then we might follow up with some actions, but we have to really cut through our delusion and see, like, what's actually happening here. I'm trying to think of a good example. I was going to use this example elsewhere, but maybe I'll use it twice. And <laughs> it's happened recently. Um, just the other day, I, I, we were parked in a parking ramp after a play, and it was very, very busy. And I mean, there, I, and I didn't want to park in the parking ramp. I, ha- I have a strong aversion to parking ramps. And uh, <laughs> as we were going down and down and down, and um, it was an inexpensive parking ramp. And so then it was time to get out of this parking ramp. And of course, there were, seemed like thousands of people trying to get out of this parking ramp. And it was like people were backing up and people were moving forward. And, none, and then nothing was moving. And for literally, and I counted it, 18 minutes, nothing moved. However, people were hedging in hedging in and people were not making eye contact and I was just watching this thing and I was in my car trying to get my car into the line that wasn't moving and there was some big monster SUV over here and, and, and then I'm like yelling at my family about 
we need to be kind. <laughs> so my intention was, why can't people be kind? You know, look at that guy. He's not making eye contact. And look at that one. He's wedging in. When, and I put, and I press the button, wave him back. And I'm like, try to control the whole thing. And, and I realized, you know, uh, my intention was to be kind. And then I had expectations that other people would take turns. So once the line started to move, they weren't taking turns. There were people that were aggressively moving forward so that nobody else could get in, including me, and they weren't making the eye contact. And so I said, well, my intention is to be kind. But I realized that while I was going to let other people in, which I did, and take turns, I really wasn't being kind towards those that weren't being kind, and I was getting angry with them. <laughs> so sometimes um, the Buddha, at his time, was, um, you know, somebody believed that if they behaved in the way of a dog, like ate like a dog and behaved like a dog, that this would somehow bring some enlightenment. I mean, this is how deluded we get sometimes. And... Uh, he says that all intentional actions, whether thoughts, speech, or bodily actions, they, they, they have outcome. They have consequences, comma. And they can be dark with the dark result. They can be bright with the bright result. They can be mixed, dark and bright, neither dark nor light. So there's a lot of times our intentions can be mixed as well, right? So... Um, and then, and then that saying that the path to hell is led by good intentions. What does that mean? Do you think we can discuss that later? Now, it, it, often that's when we have some kind of of agenda, right? Like I'm going to help you so that if I can get or have or whatever, it may not be that we're our motivation behind our intention is not very wholesome. <clears throat> We're trying to manipulate in some way. <clears throat> um, the Buddha, someone who develops dog duty fully and unstintingly, unstintingly um, they asked him what would his result be. And he said, well, he said, um, that he'll end up either in an animal womb or a hell realm. So, so just um, thinking about what are we really about here, and is it are we are we just being in this dog duty? Um, are we are we doing something that we think is going to bring us awakening, but in truth, it's really um, not. So I don't I don't know if that's a helpful sutta or not, but I thought it was interesting how deluded us beings can get. So um, Larry, back to Larry. He said that within the 2,600-year-old tradition of the Buddha's teachings, that the answer to our 21st century qu um, questions lies in intention. You know, we're in such a difficult world, you know, with so much war and, and um, just financial crises. And, you know, we look at what's going on, the hardships, the effects of 
of our climate change, um, so many painful experiences, this escalation, you know, threats of, of nuclear um, war, of just there's just so much. So if the human heart is inherently kind and gentle, how do we cope with a world that seems so harsh and mean? Even if we're not so open to our current conditions in the world, you know, and we start our morning on the right side of the bed with a refreshed attitude, our life is so easily disturbed. Like I was talking about the parking ramble. He gives an example of like a minute on the freeway. You know, like take a moment and just reflect. Like your intention may be to be kind, like I was the other evening. But then what are those little things or perhaps bigger things that we lose our track of our intention or we're caught in our reactivity? He says, one short freeway length through a few minutes of rush hour traffic getting cut off by someone's raised finger. How do we move through difficulties and hardness in our world without becoming difficult and hard human beings? You know, if we allow ourselves to become difficult and hard, we make it worse for ourselves and others. Intention refers to stretching or extending the heart and mind beyond what we think we are limited to do into our potential highest aspirations of human beings. Right intention is simply about coming home to yourself. It's a practice of aligning with the deepest part of yourself while, while surrendering to the reality that you often get lost in your wanting mind. This is from Philip Moffat, his teaching about the heart's intention. I'm going to read that again. That right or wise intention is simply about coming home to yourself. It is a practice of aligning with the deepest part of yourself while surrendering to the reality that you often get lost in your wanting mind, that second noble truth of craving. You know, throughout the day, ask yourself, am I in line with my heart's deepest intentions in this moment? You know? And it might be something really simple. You know, maybe it's you know, what you're grabbing out of the fridge, <clears throat> what you're choosing to say or do. Tanisaro Bhikkhu says that one of the Buddha's most penetrating discoveries is that our intentions are the main factors shaping our lives and that they can be mastered as a skill. If we subject them to the same qualities of mindfulness, persistent and persistence and discernment involved in developing any skill, we can perfect them to the point where they lead to no regrets, to the truest possible happiness. It requires 
a commitment to a deep level of self-awareness, to inquiry. Buddha's fourth noble truth that teaches right intention is the second step is causing no harm and treating yourselves and others with loving kindness and compassion while seeking true happiness. That comes from being free of grasping and clinging. That this isn't just something for monks and nuns and aesthetics, aesthetics, I'm having trouble saying that word tonight, sorry. It's choosing to live with wise intention you're not giving up your, your um, desire for achievement or your goals for a better life or binding yourself to be some moral perfected person. But you're committing to living each moment with the intention of not causing harm in your actions and words. And you are connecting to your own sense of kindness and innate dignity. Standing on this ground of intention, you are able to participate as you choose in life's challenges or contests until you outgrow them. So let's talk a little bit about goals and expectations as separate from intentions. So often we get confused about it. Well, does that mean that I don't have any goals? Or does that mean I don't have expectations? Or what is the difference between expectations, goals, and intentions? So what, what, are, what's, what might be a difference, do you think, between expectations and intentions? Does anyone want to say anything? Yeah. Expectations seems to be more dependent on other people's behavior. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So expectations, thinking of what um, other people, what what you want from them or what they might want from you, other people's behavior, conditional on that. Yeah. Yeah. So so um, I was on a retreat. I, I I shared part of the story last month, but where I had. Um, didn't know what to expect, but I, did, I realized, similar to the parking ramp experience, that I thought I had no expectations, but actually there was a ton of them. And, and I went on this retreat, and uh, and there, there was all kinds of weather I didn't expect. There were northeastern winds. Hurricane Sandy was nearby doing her devastation, that we were getting some of these winds. The, the place that we worked so hard and investigated online trying to find the perfect place to practice from turned out to be um, a horrendous place, like a big echo chamber that was very uncomfortable. Um, none of the expectations that I thought the retreat center that I thought would be a place of refuge was actually a yoga center that was we had to come and go throughout the day because you couldn't sit there together because there were yoga classes and the schedule was really crazy, so we had teachings at, at different times. It was very, very challenging and didn't meet my expectations. My friends who I was sharing the house with where we were staying, 
they weren't meeting my expectations, they weren't parenting in the way I thought they should, they weren't um, eating at the right times, they were disturbing my practice on a regular basis. You know, do you ever get disappointed when your expectations are met? Yeah. No, I don't know if anybody says, oh great, my expectations weren't met. At the end, at the end of, um, or sometimes you think, oh, this is going to be really good. And it, sometimes it is, and we enjoy it, and that's fine. They're met. But most of the time, they're, they're either, you know, they were, didn't quite meet it. And often it's ourselves. Like, I expect myself to have things a certain way. Like tonight, I expected myself to leave a half hour early, to be completely prepared to be at ease, and that wasn't the case. I was racing over here trying to just calm myself um, and send loving kindness on my way over here because I was running late. So sometimes we don't meet our expectations, but we can still have an intention. And part of having intentions and and not always meeting our own expectations is to not judge ourselves to have compassion, and also for others. So actually, the retreat that I just described, I ended up um, having um, an epiphany towards the end of it, um, which I really would have expected to have earlier. (laughs) Um, Not really. I was really grateful, actually, that things didn't meet my expectations, and it was so challenging. It was really not a retreat away from life. It was a re- like re- it was a retreat of being face to face with how it really is. You know, there was no escape, and so I ended up writing this poem that I'm not going to um, entertain you with, called "My Perfect Teacher," and my perfect teacher was a, a young child who was living in the house with us. And I, and I learned that the whole situation was my perfect teacher and that I couldn't pay enough money to have a retreat that would push all my buttons in that way and would challenge all of my expectations and really challenge me to, to come in alignment, in alignment with my heart's deepest intentions. So when, as, as I started to come more in alignment and open to what was really happening, I started to experience more of peace, happiness, and freedom. And I was less disturbed by the external conditions. And I had a lot of love and compassion um, for the people and the situation that I was with. And then that stretched out to the other beings in the world that were suffering. So my heart actually opened through being pushed up against those spots. And that was my intention. I mean, why do we go on retreat? Why do we come to meditation? Because we want to grow, we want to open our hearts, we want to live with more harmony and kindness and peace. So as you gain insight through meditation, wise reflection and moral or healthy living in alignment with your values, your, your, your intentions blossom. It is called a practice because it's an ever-renewing process that you, you don't just set your intentions like you set a goal. You know, I'm going to set this goal, and you can take the steps towards it. But intentions are something that you live and practice every day, 
and throughout the day. You don't just set your intentions and forget them. You live them every day, Philip said. He said, setting intention, at least according to Buddhist teachings, is quite different than goal-making. It's not oriented toward a future outcome. Instead, it is a path or a practice that's focused on being in the present moment. Your attention is the ever-present now in the constantly changing flow of life. Your intentions are based on understanding what matters most to you and you make a commitment to align your worldly actions with your inner values. Align your worldly actions with your inner values. Goals can help you make your place in the world to be an effective person, but being grounded in your intention is what provides integrity and unity in your life. Being grounded in intention is what provides us with that integrity and unity. That through skillful cultivation of intention, you learn to make wise goals and then work hard towards them without getting lost in attachment to outcome. So we can have this non-attachment. And that only by remembering your intentions can you reconnect with yourself during those emotional storms. Anyone have emotional storms? That cause you to lose touch with yourself. This remembering is a blessing because it provides a sense of meaning in your life that's not independent of, that, that is independent of whether you achieve your goals or not. I love, I, Philip, Philip is one of my dear mentors and teachers, and I just love the way he, he always brings it back to aligning with our deepest values, our wisdom, that, that it's, it's independent of our goals. Our intentions can support us through these ups and downs, even when we don't meet our goals. Does that make sense? So um, I'm going to wind down here pretty soon. I'd just like to share a few more thoughts here. So what would it be like if you didn't measure the success of your life just by what you get and don't get, but gave equal or greater priority to how you aligned with your deepest values? The goals are rooted more in an illusionary world where you want something fixed and unchanging. But in this world, you know, goals can never fulfill us in an ongoing way, right? We make a goal, we may or may not reach it. Some goals, um, they're fulfilling and we feel good about them, but then we make other ones, right? It's kind of something that we do. And yet the deeper fulfillment, when people are on their deathbeds, they don't think about, I wish I had made more money or I wish I had more this, or I wish I had fulfilled these kind of goals. They usually wish things like, I wish I had been more loving. I wish I had spent more time with the people I cared about. Or There are things that have to do more with values and being than with accomplishments of the material nature. In choosing to live with right intention, you're not giving up your desire for achievement or better life or even healthy um, expectations. 
You know, like, of course, we want to be treated with respect. You know, we have certain, certain what I call healthy expectations of what we might expect in terms of behavior. We want to feel safe. Just, just things that have to do with basic human values. But a lot of those other expectations, they really are just setups for a lot of disappointment. And they also can set us up for thinking that we know something we don't know. About. As a therapist, I've had my, my very humbled over and over again. My clients and are my best teachers often, and so is family and other, just everyone is a teacher. But to, to just, you know, think, okay, um, I think I've got some idea, or I think I know what will be helpful. And my intention may be there, but... The reality is I don't know. And often, you know, it's just like, wow, wow. I can't believe that I, I mean, I really don't know. I have no clue about what is right or what's the best way for another person, let alone my own life. Sometimes I think I know, and it's not always the best. So it's about letting go and having that humility. Intention is very much about volition. It's a mental factor of volition that comes into we can really make some choices about how we live. I'd like to close and leave some time for some discussion here with a couple thoughts. So we can um, practice wise intention like a muscle. And when you lose it, start over again. And we can also align ourselves with the... um, Paramis or the qualities of kindness, compassion, generosity, and the other qualities that build a, a loving heart. And there's a beautiful reading um, by uh, Anne Frank that I'd like to close with tonight that moved my heart. Intention can affect the entire globe and culture as it's indicated by these words from Anne Frank. In spite of everything, I still believe that people are really good at heart. I simply can't build up my hopes on a foundation consisting of confusion, misery, and death. I see the world gradually being turned into a wilderness, I hear the ever-approaching thunder, which will destroy us too. I can feel the suffering of millions. And yet, if I look up into the heavens, I think that it will all come right, that cruelty will end, and that peace and tranquility will return again. In the meantime, I must hold up my ideals. Perhaps the time will come when I shall be able to carry them out. I will uphold my ideals, my intentions, that peace and tranquility will return.
just sit for a few moments and we'll have some time to, uh, to discuss this and open to questions. I, I, I realized there was one other little example I wanted to mention um, that a character in this play that I saw um, had, had started off with some goals that were for himself to, um, you know, be, you know, achieve what he needed to achieve and do what he needed to do so he could get what he really wanted, his idea of what heaven or what would bring happiness. And he was sort of puffed out, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be the best, and I'm number one, and I'm going to do it right, and I'm going to get it. And then he was very humbled. He was doing some missionary work, and uh, he learned very quickly that, um, it wasn't going to work so well. And then through a number of experiences that were quite humiliating and challenging, uh, he came to an epiphany where he learned that it was really about helping others and doing and serving rather than his own ego. It was actually quite um, powerful even to let go of his own beliefs and goals of how it should be to um, want to serve and help others. So I want to check in with you if there's anything that's come up, how you're working with this in your life, and any questions, anything that might have come up during the meditation. Give some time to, to learn from each other. Yes? Um, I'm a really goal-obsessive person. Mm-hmm. And for a long time, I thought that was uh, and usually that includes like pushing people away and focusing on what I'm working on completely ignoring things that I really find pleasurable under the guise of getting closer to this goal. And then after I achieve the goal or get close to it, I feel like I've transformed in some way or grown bigger. But looking back on it, I often feel a lot of regret because I push people away or I've been really on it. And I've found that focusing less on the goal or like the actual outcome and focusing more on the experience and the, the effort is something I can feel good about even after. So not just in relation to whether or not I get the goal, I'm still really obsessed about it. But, but I find that I'm, my island is a lot closer to shore at, at the end of the whole thing. Wonderful. So that, that's a lot of, um, of that discernment and that kind of looking deeply in Korea, like seeing what are the consequences of that. You know, you're really, um, you know, now aligning yourself more with those values, seeing what's really um, wholesome, what's true, what... Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Thanks. I would... I would Yes, please. Uh, I often uh, struggle with this idea of uh, letting go of ego. Uh, I feel that uh, that uh, having an ego is sort of like a survival. Uh, uh, and uh, I struggle with the fact that when I let go of the ego, that I sort of um, make myself vulnerable 
so I um, put this false ego on me so that I can protect myself from others. So um, that's sort of holding back to be open and uh, to be more uh, welcoming to others. So again, that, that kind of awareness. Um, I listened to a couple of, there's a couple TED Talks that I think would be really helpful as Dharma practitioners by Brene Brown. And she's a researcher, maybe some of you have heard of her, uh, who is researching vulnerability. And her research in vulnerability took her to doing a year of intensive therapy where she had a, what she called a breakdown, which her therapist called a spiritual awakening, where she realized that she had to be vulnerable and that she couldn't just do it from her, you know, like her idea of her ego trying to organize life so she could get it off, not be so messy. So I think, I think the, the seeing, you know, the role of the ego or the false self or the, the fear of vulnerability and having the courage to recognize it and to begin, you know, to not judge yourself for having it. It's probably there for a lot of good reasons. That's how we learn to survive. You know, it's just, but we start to outgrow it. We recognize it, that, that it's not really who we truly are. And to have the courage to, to, to be vulnerable, to... Uh, Explore it. So, so um, thank you for sharing that. Does someone, does someone else have something? Did you know? Do you know Brene's book? The name of it? Her most recent is Daring Greatly. Daring Greatly. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Daring Greatly. I highly recommend it. And the TED Talks are are, are really engaging and short. And I think they. They really support this path of intention, very much so, because there is a vulnerability in, you know, as we let go of these sort of ways of doing things and we connect, there, there is opening to that vulnerability and clearing out our hearts and living more from um, the strength of vulnerability and compassion. She also does a blog mm -hmm. with a lot of updates that I feel like are really aligning with mm -hmm. my practice as well for anybody who's interested. I don't know the name of it, but if you search Brene Brown, I find it. Yeah, it's like Brene with the B and one E at the end. Yeah. Um, so we have a little more time. Is there anyone else that wants? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was just thinking about building So there's something about that where if you have expectations, you are 
you. Thank you. It's so great to hear as we wake up and we become aware. You know, and these are all, we have all these strategies and we come by our own conditioning and ways we were raised, different things we were taught or learned to protect ourselves, to try to get along in this world that's very challenging. And, and then to wake up and to find, you know, new ways and other ways to take care of our hearts and other ways to live and other ways to see ourselves and relate to life. You know, really wonderful. And start to, you know, let go of some of those old tapes and things. Yes, you were saying. Intention is just so tricky because it seems like you know, like you can make an intention for the day or an mm-hmm. intention for a sit, and really, it's it's such a moment by moment thing. I was just on retreat, and um, you know, you sit, you come into the sit, and your intention is to be mindful, or my intention is to be mindful, and I would start to move. And then I moved again. And I moved again. And I moved again. Oh. And it, you know, being a little deluded and not seeing clearly, which um, needs to come first sometimes, I, it, it just didn't dawn on me that my intention with each movement was to be more comfortable. That's not in alignment with my deepest intention, which is to be free, you know, mm-hmm. and and it's such a hidden one. I mean, in big ways, it's not so hidden, but for me, shifting and trying to get more comfortable is just so persistent that it can, it took me, you know, two or three days to finally say, oh, okay, my intention with each of those movements has been to seek comfort, to seek satisfaction. Mm-hmm. And so then I was able to say, okay, I, I just have to surrender. I'm just going to sit here. Because stillness is more important. I intend to be still. And, um, and then I could be. So often our intentions just seem to be hidden. Well, the, the fact that you discovered that, you know, again, is, is, is there your practice. Like, what is what's going on that, the, that, that I'm making a certain intention in the body's move and moving the, the body's moving. And so to get to this desire for some comfort, you know, that, that was there fueling that. And it sounds like, you know, I wonder um, if, if you could, what it would be to bring compassion to the one that's seeking comfort to the body that just wants some comfort and ease, that's moving, you know, that, that, I don't, that, that the desire for wanting that comfort um, or making an intention. And I think when we don't necessarily, and I think this is where it gets, do we have expectations that we're going to meet our intentions, you know? And then we're disappointed when we don't. And then we get upset with ourselves and say, well, damn, you're going for comfort. Knock it off. It's like rather than, oh, oh, sweetheart, of course you want comfort. Oh, wow, it's hard not to. You notice I'm even moving more myself. (laughs) It's like, oh, yeah, just the body. Yeah, yeah, there's discomfort in the mind, the heart, the body. It moves. And so, okay, I might want to strengthen that intention. But I don't want to do it with... My intention is, again, to have the compassion and to allow for that. Like that, 
that's all a part of it too. And that's often how we discover these things that we're willing to look deeper. Like, well, what's really going on here? You know, like so like if you have you say, Okay, I'm gonna go north and you find yourself going south, you're you're practicing, then then there may be something else that's calling your attention. Attention. And then I think that's also with the Buddha and Rahula. So you know, where you, you you might have to reevaluate that one. You know, like say if you had some physical thing or there was something else that was going on that might be skillful or maybe saying my intention was to keep the body still but what's needed now is actually some loving kindness so you know thank you yes intention to keep the body still then or is that a goal it's a good question (laughs) what do you think it feels to me like a goal Uh uh-huh and it feels like an intention is more about your way of being, mm-hmm. or your way of reaching that goal. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, could be some of the some of these things like what you know discerning what is that because sometimes we get so too goal oriented in our practice. You know, I'm going to sit for an hour without moving. You know, and we just get tighter and tighter and tighter. But if, if it's like, okay, I want to really, ex- my intention is to, to um, turn the fire up and, you know, see, you know, explore this. And, and then, and then, and then the, the urge to move comes, you're going to watch it. You know, that, that could be a wholesome way of intending to, to um, you know, um, well, that, that, that may be the intention to strengthen your resolve. To, to stay with experience. You know, there's different ways to work with it, but I think those two wings of the practice always need to be going together. Not not being marshmallow fluff, but always the wing of compassion, kindness, and the wing of mindfulness and clarity. You know, they go together. Was there some other comment before we wind down today? Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Uh, last week we were talking about the last Sunday about being aware of only the thoughts and intentions mm-hmm. that we mind yeah. when we're trying to practice. And one of the jobs I have is working at this art museum, and a certain day of the month it's great. And on that day, there's like thousands of people that come through. There's kids, there's old people, there's couples, there's every single kind of person that comes. It's totally out of control. Mm-hmm. Usually there's someone near the door with like a little clear thing, like a pedometer. Mm-hmm. But I'm just like counting people coming. Um, and I was thinking of this comparison with when I try to meditate. There's just like this uncontrollable flow of ideas or questions or scenes from a movie or things I saw in a book. Mm-hmm. Just keep coming to my mind. And it used to cause me a lot of frustration and make me angry. Mm-hmm. Just like sometimes watching certain visitors come in that I expect certain behaviors to be positive or negative. Like, that person's definitely going to do this, and that person's definitely going to do that. Um, so before I had this impulse to like, just kind of want to hope that they just leave, like I hope they just leave, they just leave my area if there's someone else's problem, or they get bored, or they're parking a ticket, I don't know. Uh, any excuse to get it out of my mind. Um, Whereas now like, they're gonna be around for a few hours. So, like it's fine if they you know, enjoy their visit or even if it's stressful for me or whatever. They're gonna have the space for a while. I can't really do anything about that. 
you. I'm sorry. Did you have one quick comment? We're almost time to finish up. Go ahead. Did you just have your hand up? Oh, sorry. We were just going for water. Okay. All right. Sorry. I, I but, uh, we do need to wind down, though. But thank you. Thank you. It's, it's great to hear just a little bit about some of what you're, how people are practicing and inspires my own. And, you know, I think, you know, just hold the intention to, to you know, just how we hold the teachings, how we explore it. I mean, we could spend, um, you know, who knows how long exploring each of the, you know, steps in the Eightfold Path. And I think, you know, we might have one understanding about what that means for us now, making an intention. And then that can deepen over over the cycle of practice. So so kind of again, so often we might think, oh I've got that one now. I got the the, the noble truths, I got the eightfold path. But what I find it's an ongoing exploration, you know, like around intention and, and exploring this. So I encourage you to invite you to do that. And so let's let's make our intention now to share the merit of our practice with one another and offer loving kindness to be able to come here, your intention to come here instead of watching maybe Downton Abbey, which I'm going to go home and try to watch. <laughs> so, you know, we had an intention to come to, to connect with our practice and to share the Dharma is very, you know, and appreciate that. You know, appreciate that. And and take with whatever is supportive to you and and sharing the merit with one another of, of our of our of our deepest intention um, our practice today and to those near and dear and far and wide in all directions to our brothers and sisters practicing Holy Spirit to people we know that may be ill or dying or suffering in some way that are near and dear, and then those out in the world, known and unknown to us, in all directions, in all places and times. May all sentient beings everywhere be free from suffering. May they live with ease and joy, peace, happiness, and freedom just as we wish for ourselves, no difference. We'll send, we'll just send some metta. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, everyone, for helping and hosting. And do you have some announcements? Yes. Uh, thank you, Mayor, for being with us today and sharing that. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.